Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Upstream Podcast. You are all in for a treat this week. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> yeah, so this week we'll be interviewing Minnow. I'll be interviewing Minnow on kind of his journey over the last, man, 12 months. Maybe we'll backtrack a little bit more, but just to yeah. get some insight into his transition, what he's been up to, and kind of getting you know a lot more of the, the juicy bits from from that change did i miss anything there no i I think 12 months 12 months sound about right yeah that i I feel like i've I've told the story here and there to different people especially clients and stuff to work with but i'm curious as to how you're gonna drag it out of me and so i'll 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 be as open book as possible so we'll see (laughs) awesome as soon as you get uncomfortable that that means it's a good thing yes it is (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, we'll dive right in. I mean, so why don't you just quickly tell or, you know, remind the audience of what it is you're up to now, and, mm-hmm. and we'll start there. So right now, as of February, early, mid-February, I guess, I mostly do uh, Zoom calls because I'm doing, I, I say now, mindset and business coaching for creators and for people who want to do some kind of generous or courageous work and so i work with about 11 clients right now and we just go on calls every week and have some amazing calls and and yeah so it's mostly coaching work i do some photography work still this this year is going to be busy with photography work because all the work that got postponed last week last year is now happening this year but things are still up in the air uh, of course but i think photography is still going to be a good chunk of the things that i do this year but maybe before 12 months ago what were what were you most known for before 12 months ago i was known for photography so since up until i'll say march when the lockdown happened i was doing full full full-time income from photography that was mainly what i was doing in different kinds of photography from wedding work commercial work corporate work and I was doing that since 2009. So before we jump into, I guess, the sea change moment for you, I, wa- yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about photography and, you know, like a little bit about the lessons you learned in that mm-hmm. career. And mm-hmm. maybe ta- tell tell us what is it like to build a photography business? And what was it like for to do that over a decade? I think photography... The honest, the most honest way I could explain it is I, I stumbled upon it in a very organic way in the sense that it started, I started photography because I left my advertising job because of the financial crisis and they just couldn't afford to keep all of us around. And I think really the way that it grew was because I was at the right place at the right time. There was a lot of luck involved. But I won't say everything about, look, I think I was prepared for the opportunity with photography. And I was 24, 25 around that time when I started. A lot of my friends were getting married. A lot of people knew me from music stuff and all the stuff I was doing. Facebook literally had organic reach. It was, if you posted, your stuff would be shown to everybody that was around. And wedding work is inherently, wedding photography is inherently viral amongst the community of people. And so... Mm. Looking back now, those sort of engines of like demographic, niche, reach, all that stuff sort of came together and I was able and I sort of became one of the people that 
a lot of people thought about when they thought about wedding photography and and yeah. wedding photography is a great freelance business because you see nine to 12 months ahead you get a deposit it's high ticket for each one like there's a reason why if you're cut out for it everyone wants to do wedding work because it's an actually a pretty profitable industry but that could be the only thing you do and you could sort of blink mm. your eye and be 40 or 50 and <laughs> really only have weddings to do and unless right. you play this game of charging more per wedding which means you get into a different mm. socioeconomic bracket and in new york it's entirely possible and so that game of charging more charging more for your wedding getting into you know ten thousand twelve thousand fifteen thousand dollar wedding commissions is a game that i never really wanted to play so instead of trying to build a wedding business i try to diversify my income by doing commercial work and corporate work mm -hmm. and all this other kind of right. stuff and so if there is a lesson about doing freelance work or photography work it's it feels uh, like you can control a situation by just doing one thing and that thing alone. But if you want that to be, if you want to have a profitable business, I think having different things that are sort of tangential or something that you can branch out in the work that you're doing is really important. And if you don't want to do that, right. then it's much easier to find a place that lets you do exactly what you do without all the other infrastructure of business and marketing. But that was sort of where the crossroads. That's that was sort of the crossroads of where I was in the beginning of last year, where the wedding work was great, the commercial work was, you know, and and I'm just like, I don't know where I want to take it. And if I were to be super mm -hmm. honest, it was me feeling a little not burnt out, but directionless and sort of passionless on wanting to keep pushing the photography work. Yeah, let's pause there, and then why don't you tell t talk to us about where you were in the first quarter of um, yeah. 2020. Tell us yeah. where you were in terms of your business. Like where, where were you in terms of upcoming gigs? Were you fully booked for the year? Was mm -hmm. everything kind of like ready, set, go? Like, yeah, talk, give us some context. It was, I would say, 60% of the way predicted. My friend has a commercial um, photography now, there's a lot of film and stuff he does too, but it's it's called Frame. And I would help him. We would go out to California every quarter to do a big corporate gig there for like a week. I had wedding work about 70% there as the year was starting. Commercial work, I knew that was something I wanted to push, but I didn't know what that looked like. And that was a lot of my fascination with what David was doing with branding because I was always interested in the marketing part, but how do I bring that into it? I didn't know what to expect from January. And January is usually my little existential crisis I have because it's my birthday, it's a new year. I'm looking ahead to see if I could freelance again, like pull this off for another year. But it really felt like a black box. And I just did not know right. what to expect. But I also felt there wasn't any other options but trying to keep pushing the photo work. Not true. Because I was, I've been doing it for so long. Okay, so basically you were in, in pretty good shape. Pretty good shape, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, obviously, everything changed with the pandemic. So, tell us about like when, when did you realize everything changed for you? Around February, around this time now, I got introduced to my own business coach, and it was one of the first I was doing. I've been doing therapy for about two years before that, and I was like, okay, therapy is like, you know, uh, coach for my soul and my mind. There's such great things that are coming out of it. 
I was like, oh, maybe a business coach would be really great. And I had a, another photographer friend I know that knew, knew my business coach, Kenta. And so I reached out to him saying, I think I need help figuring out what this looks like. I, I don't need to do this right. all by myself. It was literally around now. We had a conversation and we were going to start in March to do sort of like coaching work. We started in March. We we're like, this is what I want to do with my work. This is what I want to do. March 14th is when the lockdown happened. Around mid-March is when the lockdown mm-hmm. happened. And mm-hmm. everything just disappeared at that point. And so... Like, how did it actually disappear? What happened? Was there, like, a deluge of emails into your inbox that's like, we're not doing this anymore? It started because once... New, because <laughs> I think if New York wasn't the epicenter, they called it the epicenter mm-hmm. a lot, of yeah. the outbreak in the U.S., it may mm-hmm. not have hit as soon, but because mm-hmm. New York was hit so hard and they said no more than 10 people can meet together in one place. And then the whole city went on lockdown and no, and there was no restaurants or anywhere you can go and you know people had to stay at home. Then it was like, my literal job is to be around people in tight spaces. Yeah. Like weddings are inherently not social distance dancing and partying it's like there's no you know there's no social distancing at all and so it was like okay they just told me what i do for a living doesn't work and all the work to california was completely postponed it was just just, i you know flying Mm -hmm. i mean it was around the time when that one guy at like i think it was jet blue flew knowing he was positive but there was no like mask Mm -hmm. mandate or anything that was really like happening Mm -hmm. and like they banned him for life and it's like no one's gonna fly this recirculated air for six hours so it's like that went out the that went out the window all the and then emails came in from clients saying we got to move the date my you know my venue isn't hosting 250 people indoors i mean we shudder now to think to be with 250 people indoors but that was that was normal at a wedding right that was so normal and so yeah i mean it was just like a logical conclusion of what this looked like and actually the delusion i had back then was by june by june it would all be okay so what what went through your head when you when the lock when you know lockdown initiated when travel restrictions initiated when the email started flying in what was actually happening with you mentally emotionally it felt really deja vu for me because it's how i started my mm. photography career because <laughs> of the financial crisis i got laid off and back then i lived at home it was you know minimal overhead but i had unemployment coming in and that's what sort of helped kickstart the work that i was doing and so I was like, okay, I guess this is sort of the same thing. I don't know. Like, I, I felt like I was reliving the same thing again, but it was millions and millions and millions of people. And so right. I think at first I was looking at, okay, what is our net worth right now? And how much can we do whatever it is? But there was all like, as soon as like relief and all this stuff sort of came in, we we're like, oh, I think we'll be okay. And then mm. all the relief and stuff like that completely changed, like monetarily, it was the most frustrating thing. And I would, I, I, I put up like Instagram stories of calling the department of labor 200 times and not being able to get on the phone because they couldn't process my unemployment or my wife's unemployment. And so that was happening and sort of feeling like, I don't know what we do like this house of cards that I put up together that always felt fragile every first quarter Mm -hmm. 
was completely gone. And I don't think I'm built to be in melancholy for too long, just as my nature to yeah. be. And so right. I don't know how to fall into like complete despair and just keep seeing the bright side of things. And mm. so it felt like, oh, my, 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 my table is clean. And if I have to build this up again somehow, like how can I reimagine the work that I do? And I think right. at first it was a self-soothing talk to not fall into the existential, like real existential crisis of my career completely falling away. Mm. But it actually, it helped my mindset in doing that work. And that's when I, we sort of, you know, thought about the podcast and I spent way too long editing that podcast because I wanted, because I just had all this excess energy and I was just thinking, reimagining and being with my coach was really helpful because we were sort of going all, going through that together. But it was yeah. a mixture of denial, sort of resilience, thinking, mm. but not really fully comprehending yeah. what the situation was. And so it was a lot of confusion, but those were sort of the emotions right. I was feeling. Yeah. Did you did you take any like like concerted time to almost like recover from I guess the trauma of what just happened? Because it's like it's honestly it's traumatic. It Anytime is. Anytime you get laid off, I was yeah. I, at my first job. I was laid off from. Yeah. And I remember feeling like I walked away from that conversation like a truck had hit me because it came yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. And it was so casual from their side. Mm. You know, mm. and so I think very similarly for you. I'm sure a lot of people are freaking out in their emails to you and stuff. But at the same time, it's like people kind of laid all of this news onto you at once. You went from seventy percent book to zero. Yeah. In you know a matter of days. Did you take any time to like, I don't know, like grieve? <laughs> grieve is the right word. I think grieving grieving is definitely the right word, and I think I was able to do that pretty well I, I wish my wife was here and see her like shake her head or you know shrug or something but <laughs> i think i was able to assess the situation pretty well and her and i she's the opposite of that like if i'm optimistic and trying to look on the bright she's very practical you know realist realist of of the situation mm -hmm. and so we balance each other out that way really well and we would just go on these long walks and talk about what it would what it would what you know, what's going on. And I think part of it felt, I felt guilty, I want to say, because, and this isn't because I don't love photography, but I think it, 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 like I'm hedging myself now because I feel, I still feel guilty in thinking this way, but mm. I had everything going and it was a good first quarter of photography, but I wasn't fully in it. And if my wife had a way to look at it, she said, you don't really, really, fully enjoy the work that you're doing you're doing it because you have to do it mm. and when it sort of got taken away there's shock and i don't know what to do and what to happen but it's almost like whoa if i you know i wouldn't have had the courage to actually completely rethink the things i was doing but now i'm forced to do it and the analogy i kept using was my house burnt down and now mm. i have to rebuild this house because i have to live somewhere but am i going to build it up exactly the way it was before am i going to replicate right the way I, I i knew it was before every everything is is everything going to be the same or i'm going to try to 
rethink the layout and see see how I would enjoy what to do because I think a lot of people still back in April was just holding their breath to think, hey, this will pass over real soon. Like we'll get back to right, we'll get back to business as usual. It was still that kind of thinking yeah. in in April, in April, and so yeah, that sort of it it was a mixed bag. There was a sense of relief, sense of uncertainty, but mm. I think I was excited to try to rethink and reimagine what I could be doing. Okay. So we, you know, the pandemic hit, you had all these realizations about your business. Mm -hmm. Maybe it took a little bit of time to, you know, just be, be grieving about it. And then, and then you started to say, okay, let's put the tools in the toolbox and get to building. What, what was that process like? Because I'm sure, I mean, did I want to ask, like, did it feel like a blank slate? Were you like ideating various opportunities for yourself? How did you go about thinking about what you wanted to build next? I think this is where, again, serendipity and I'll chalk it up to luck because Hmm. I think you are a huge part in that recovery because those episodes when we first talked about essential work, the work that we needed to do and 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 what that leadership and our stories and and going back and and yeah. putting together the threads of where we came from that's super helpful in in processing what was happening and i think without that sort of safe space and almost like creative energy to put something out there and like process because i want to edit it and and put it together and put the music and like in this little compartment of a, of a podcast I don't I didn't realize how healing that process was talking that mm. stuff out with you and mm. just the pure fact that and, and I was reading all these books and 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 going back to sort of like freelance or or creator mentality strategy is where really the uniqueness of somebody comes in more so than the execution and by execution I mean taking the photo you know, design, like actual creative work is, that's the stuff a lot of people teaches. And that's the stuff you feel a lot, a lot of times getting commoditized. And that's what you feel as photographers, like, what makes my photo different from that photo. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard to see a difference of that. But if you bring in Mm -hmm. creative direction, or for me, it was a lot like branding, marketing direction, and the photo is an output to it, then you sort of meld strategy and execution together. And David Mm -hmm. was sort of this like, weekly person I was able to just talk to about strategy and branding and these kind of ideas. And so having, uh, honestly, having you that close and talking to you and one, having this co-created outlet, but also having you to help me think through that kind of stuff was really helpful at that, at that time, the more that I think about it. And my business coach was also helpful just having that space to talk through all that stuff. And as a freelance Mm solo company of one you're always primed to do it by yourself you really are Mm -hmm. and yeah it's not true it really it really (laughs) like i don't remember what coworkers feel like i don't remember being in a being in an office with because i just worked by myself for so long but even through the pandemic i was you know investing in my coach and without him and and being able to just throw these ideas back in a space is all is all pretty helpful and i can see how much of the privilege I have in terms of being able to do that but those are just and of course you know of of course my wife and and different communities and stuff that I had but I really do remember pouring a lot of my energy into that podcast and 
talking mm-hmm. with you and and that was a big part of it yeah yeah it's interesting because i feel like at least for me the way i just imagine these things happening is like you know for me at person i guess if the, if i was in your shoes i would be sad for a while mm-hmm. be scared and and then one day i'd probably just wake up and like buy a whiteboard on amazon and just start writing everything out like that's like my like you know fantasy of what it would look like yeah but what i'm hearing you say is actually like we started we you know we talked about the podcast months before the pandemic happened we're already planning we're already like basically creating a habit of something yeah a habit that's related to an output that's related to conversation and so for you like it wasn't one of those moments where you had a whiteboard all night like doing circle diagrams of potential mm-hmm. opportunities that you can pursue and pro cons lists and whatever. It was like, it was more organic through this kind of predetermined habit mm-hmm. and just talking various things out that are pretty much that were pretty unrelated often to your yeah. actual job. And so yeah. I think that's really interesting. I mean, I would love to hear like in that process, I'm sure you're thinking, okay, th- I'm sure you had that nagging thought in the back of your head, like, okay, what do I really do next? Like, how yeah. do I make money? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm really curious, like, uh, how you answer that question, what things you considered. Yeah. Yeah. Doing. I, that, yeah. I, I think that's great. And I think on that note of, like, the, the habits that I was creating, I think one fault that I have is to be very I'm, – I'm so forward-looking that I don't consider what I've done in the past to be of any help. So I, I finished college and I just sort of like threw away my notes. I was like, I don't need this anymore. Or if I do something, I'm like, okay, just move forward. And I, and I, and I like clean and I like clean slate a lot, but, and, and that helps in sort of like going to the next thing and having excitement and, and momentum for the next thing. But it also makes me disregard what I've done. And I look at it and I'm like, ugh, that wasn't that great anyway. And I, and I, always undervalue and underestimated the practices and, and things that I've done in my life and say it wasn't good enough. So I have to mm-hmm. come up with something new. And that whiteboard image is a very intoxicating thing where you're like, boom, and then you hear the dramatic music. And yeah, then yeah. it's like, you know, fast cuts <laughs> of like, and then yeah, you yeah, step yeah. back at the board and you have this full plan of this new plan to go forward. But it, I mean, it rarely works like that. And it's, you know, and, and, and you're right. Like the, the podcast was really, a culmination of things even before the pandemic happened we were talking about it i had this newsletter as well that i was writing in every week and i was just sort of pouring myself out onto the thing and forcing my head to clarify and process these thoughts sometimes nothing related with what was happening but it was also a way for me to sit and process and mm-hmm. both of these things the podcast the writing is are huge parts of what i want to do it it, it braids so easy so well into the work that i'm doing right now and i mm-hmm. can't say that you know and, and that's something that i i built on my own but i wasn't really regarding as much and i think you you your question was about how how do i make money and how do i do these things and i think this is where my biggest lesson one of my biggest lessons from 2020 came because we said it multiple times but the stark realization that there are people systemically oppressed systemically disenfranchised disadvantaged and persecuted for no other reason but their ex- of, of their identity and i was here unemployment worked out find, you know federal aid and all this stuff and i did not have to worry about how i was mm-hmm. going to make ends meet 
that mm-hmm. I wasn't fighting for my rent or my mortgage or food. I was fighting for self-actualization. <laughs> like, how do I now fulfill my purpose in the world? What is our essential work? They're important questions, mm-hmm. but they're questions of real, real privilege and blessing. Whereas yeah. what I was watching people fight for was the right to exist. Yeah. Just as much as the next person, you know, right. because someone told them they don't deserve it. And so... Right. Yeah. And so I think because of that, I was very much grateful and, and I and I and it really gave me a this is what really matters point of view about life. And again, our conversations were grounding, but it's like what really matters? My immediate family was healthy. I was healthy. Becky was healthy. We were, you know, stuck in an apartment. Okay. Right? Like all that stuff was sort of felt so much privilege that I think it gave me a resilience to that question of what am I going to do next? Because it put it in perspective mm. as opposed to uh, right. how am I going to, you know, if this happened on just to me on any other year, I think I'd feel very victimized and entitled <laughs> and depressed and, and sort of that kind of crises. But I was like, oh, here's where this fits in this in the scheme mm. of society and what's happening. Not that my problem is like, it, it still matters. It's still my problem. And so it, it, it's, it's a big question to ask, but it fit me into a larger point of view. And I was able to look at it really um, objectively in, in some sense. And at times being like, well, what am I, what am I really going to do? And so, yeah, but it, it provided a resilience for me that didn't come out of scarcity or complete desperation. I mean, that's like, that's, that's pretty incredible because I, you know, I was like thinking about it. A lot of people experience life changes, especially big ones like this intentionally. Mm. Like I'm going to move my family here. Yeah. I'm going to take this job. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z versus the world kind of, you know, laying it on top of you. Like you're going to do this now. You're going to change. You're going to, so I think too to be almost forced to do it and and yet hold that perspective is is pretty incredible. I mean, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about like how I mean, how did you land on coaching though? Like given yeah. all of these things, how take us through like almost in a logical way if you can, a linear fashion. I know it wasn't linear at all, mm-hmm. but just so it kind of makes sense to the listeners. I think the reason there's been there's been these sort of like different phases of my life and I talk, and we talked about in previous episodes about music photography at you know and and coaching now but even with music I felt like my archetype for a musician was sort of this Bob Dylan-esque one person on a stage with a guitar to change the world and a person felt mm-hmm. like he was singing to them like for me it was mm-hmm. that like intimate one-to-one singer-songwriter in his head into the ears of other people and changing them. It was a very much relationship aspect to the music that I loved and the, and the, and, and the kind of music I want to do. It's why I think I still do, you know, my music is, is, is at church now mostly because it still has that community aspect and people aspect to, to my music. And photography, I mean, I think nature photography, product photography, all that stuff is unbelievable but I have no interest in doing any of that. I'm just interested in (laughs) photographing people, you know, weddings, portrait work, 
it could be corporate headshots for a law firm to, you know, lifestyle photos for a brand or whatever it is. And it was always people. And I think I oh I enjoyed creating an environment where people felt comfortable and safe enough to get their photo taken because it's a very mm. if you're not a model and just a civilian like it's it's a harrowing experience you know wedding work it's just not a comfortable experience at all and i always enjoyed creating a fun and comfortable atmosphere it was never like a moody fine art atmosphere and again those photographers are amazing that can create a whole landscape and visual landscape and place people there i was much more like can i just get a photo out it was a more documentary lifestyle almost journalistic kind of photography and it was me just trying to point and see what threads went through each of these things outside of the actual work i was doing and Mm -hmm. the other thing i knew was i had 10 12 years of freelance experience and i was always interested in the marketing and business aspect and branding aspect of things it was things i was always consuming for my own business but it was just interesting to me and so I thought, yeah, why don't I really do the branding work and try working with people to do, you know, branding and marketing and use photography as one of those things. I was thinking of doing like social media assets for people. So I'll do storytelling. That was another huge thing I was interested in. So can I do more content, social media content work, but find the stories to do it? I mean, it's what every creative would want to do, I guess, you know, at that work. But yeah, can yeah. I really get into the creative and the strategy aspects of, of those things and build up my own framework, almost a consultant-like space. And yeah. I went as far as finding some clients and making decks to put it out there. And I put out a deck and I, I, I wanted my business coach to look at it. I probably sent it to you too, but I was, I was on a call with my business coach and he's like, looking at this deck, the way you write isn't writing a consultant to an organization or a company it's as if you're writing to help someone brand themselves as a person it's mm-hmm. like have you ever thought about personal branding you love doing you know one-on-one portraiture work so there's a lot of like executive ceos or people out there who want to do personal branding so why don't you help people do personal branding and take their photos for them and tell their story i was like huh that's a cool niche like that's really cool i never would have put that strategy marketing work as one person because it's commercial Mm. photography it's corporate photography right it Mm. it never it works in an eight like that kind of agency model is what i knew as in advertising and what i knew in as clients but my coach sort of put that into my ear out of left field and i was like that's super cool and then when i took and then when i just went deeper into that idea of storytelling that idea of a person's story what is a person's story came up with greater stories. I we thought of that in a walk. I looked on the domain and greaterstories.com was available. I'm like this yeah. is a sign like I cannot believe greaterstories.com exists. Like that's the most, you know, bought yeah. that. I was like I'm going to do this agency thing. Okay, what's the person's story? What's the person's story? And the deeper I just got into that, it was really like do I want to create frameworks and consulting work or do I want to be there for people and and talk to them? And again, echoes of you and me just having conversations together just walking through what we were walking through every conversation i have with a good friend just gets intense and we get into it Mm. and we and we like just talk about like high level ideas that's just the way i my my brain operates and Mm -hmm. so and i was getting this coaching from my business coach and i was like that's cool like i really love what he's doing for me 
I can see myself mm. doing that kind of thing, you know? And mm. so that was sort of the linear progression of like, I do love interacting with people, connecting with people. I can do it through photography. I can do it through branding strategy, personal branding, and then it went to coaching. Uh, and once so, yeah, I hit, like, yeah. I, I was going to ask, like, did you, was that thread of the one-to-one connection with people very apparent to you? Like, was it so, you know, visceral? Like, you knew no matter what it is you do, I need that to be kind of the core of what I do next that one-to-one connection? I think I love, yes. I think I, I think if anything I wanted to do next, I wanted to do it with more people. Wedding photography is sort of a lone wolf experience. You have second photographers and you can build out a whole thing, but most wedding photography or freelance is really solopreneur-esque. And so mm. the thing I loved about the corporate work, the work wasn't this masterful work that we were doing. It was good great work, better work than they've ever seen in their firm. But it was with my friend and our two, three of us went to California together and we just hung out really, you know, doing this work together. And at night we would just, you know, go eat and hang out. Like that was amazing for me to have coworkers on this freelancing gig right. and, and doing things with people. And agency work would be working with designers and this and that and working with people. Like I, I think I would have really loved that. And so people was definitely a part of it. Did I think it would be one-to-one sessions and you know these like that i didn't i didn't think about that at all yeah yeah no i mean the reason i ask is because i think when a lot of people are come to a moment in their life where they have to make a big transition or they have to make a leap or something they feel lost because they don't have that fundamental thread right like i am best in these moments or something or i do this or this is part of me and so whatever i do next that fundamental thread needs to exist and so i'm curious like how you would maybe explain how to get there first for people that might be experiencing or Mm. considering transitioning Mm. like how how did you actually you know make that that thread so fundamental and like it's almost like you have you had no other way about figuring out what to do next other than that thread right was that important? It's, that's a great question, man. I think I'll I'll give two in terms of like for me, who's an external processor. I think you need the you need people to be able to there be there and and be an honest reflection of what that looks like. And I think if you can change, adding different relationships to help you reflect or a relationship that's either inspiring or that's revealing with somebody else, I think is one of the Mm. highest leverage things you can do surrounding yourself with different people. If you want to do something that's different. And my coach was literally a serendipitous different. He lives in Berlin. I never (laughs) knew anyone from Berlin until I met him. You know, it's just completely separate person from any of my friends group that came in and had this really interesting conversation and thought that I had. But that's an external processor. I think there's internal processors that can't do that. They need to think it through and 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 do and what that looks like. And I think at that point, it's just finding some good input, like a good book, mm. a course, or like, there's so many courses like out there that really talk about those things. And I think 
reading yeah. about other people's lives and seeing and and getting and trying to time insights with where you are right now because i think you could always hear yeah. something but it's the timing of it that matters and in that timing of transition right. if you could get into the right mindset which i like to think of as just like an infinite mindset of possibility as opposed to completely feeling scarce and completely feeling like what's next i think is is huge and so the input is the most important and either you take it in and internally process or your process in, in yeah. community. No, I love that because it's like, it, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people, like a lot of people have friends that'll just say, Oh yeah, that's dope. Go ahead. Like go for it, bro. Like why not? There's a lot of people like that, but the, the people you need in your life, especially around transitions, especially around big sea change like this are the people that are going to ask you why. And I think I'm realizing that a lot of people aren't asked that by anybody. Yeah. Like, you know, like someone might say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm considering going into, I hear this a lot. I'm considering going into UX boot camp or something. Or I'm considering going to coding boot camp. Like, I think maybe there's this lure, a lure of technology. Yes. Of being in the technology world. And I want to kind of be in that. I think a lot of people think that. And and everyone's like, yeah, you should do it. Like probably a lot of people around them are saying, yeah, you should do it. Why not? Why not? And I think what these types of spaces allow for is someone asking you why and you having mm -hmm. to face that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you had to face the why so many times because we had to record these podcasts. You know, you were in a pandemic, you know, you yeah. lost yeah. all your opportunities. That why yeah. was so, it was, it was like, you know, an annoying friend that wouldn't leave, you know, and uh, why I think... Yeah, and I think what the world, you, you said as the world sort of put it on top of me in, in the global pandemic, but again, it was all in the setting, not just of the pandemic, but Black Lives Matter and mm -hmm. all the stuff that was happening. And it really made you go down to the systemic institutional level of why this stuff exists. If you really, and the way, and, and it was the first time I really opened my eyes and I tried to educate myself as much as I can, but there's a system and an institution built around injustice and once you start thinking of your place in that and thinking in that level of sort of outside of my own existence it's easy to ask the questions why because then you see like well mm -hmm. where do i want this to go why is it that i yeah. want to do this and yeah. as woo, woo as it sounds when i say that i want to help people do courageous generous work i have specific ideas of what that looks like now because of what <laughs> what we went through, right? What does cour right. courageous and generous work look like? And it's not the same as yeah. what I thought it was back in 2018, 2019. And so right. the situation forced it to happen. And I think I was, I think I, the other saving grace to me is I have a propensity towards truth with a capital T. I want to, once convinced of a situation or, or or see some inkling towards a bigger reality i want to mold myself to that reality rather than trying to sure. force myself right. into that reality i think that's why yeah. i do i am religious that's why i am a christian that's why i do think in these high level terms because i want to have a framework that i am in my life mm -hmm. i don't i don't need to be this well no one understands me i'm the lone ranger i'll do it my way i i tend to want to think about higher frameworks and and where sure. my life fits into a greater story i think like what we just covered was a lot of like the fundamentals like yes. the kind of the the meaty heart soul stuff yeah i want to talk a little bit more about the actual business now like when mm -hmm. when 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 did when was day one of your new business yeah 
So I, I signed up for a mastermind, again, in terms of changing environment, changing relationship. With the pandemic, the only way you change your relationship was who popped up on your Zoom screen. So you're in the same place. It's just who are you talking to, you know, day after day. And so there was this there was this company, this film company called Muse that I've been following for a while. And a lot of my storytelling ideas and stuff, I learned from them. And they were going to do a mastermind specifically during this time. Everybody was sort of not doing anything. And so it was a deep dive with like 24 people. And mm-hmm. I got to meet, and some of them are just lifelong friends. Some of them are clients of mine now, like lifelong friends from that one thing, because we're all in that place of wanting to grow and learn. And that mastermind actually showed me glimpses of what coaching could have been, because I naturally started helping and, and, and talking to people and reflecting things back. And I was like, oh, I really enjoy doing it. That was sort of the first prototype, unintended prototype of coaching work. And that was around June-ish. And by July, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this coaching thing. And I think what, when you talk about like that person who says, I want to do UX boot camp, I want to go to coding camp or whatever it is, there's a difference between someone doing it because they think it's the cool thing or it's the profitable thing or it, or it makes me money or something versus a compulsion. And I think mm. so many times we spend so much energy wanting permission from other people and a lot of times that question asked they don't want to hear the why because they just want to hear permission to go for it that if enough people say yes then they're like well i guess i have to do it because i asked enough people and do yes but it's not yes but you're looking for extrinsic motivation but when you hit upon something that you really are wanting to enjoy there's a compulsion and and it's permissionless and in Mm. the world we live in right now with the access of information you don't need permission from anybody. And really, yeah. it, 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 I, I didn't have this, you know, huge assets of clients or following or whatever, whatever to lean on as my pivot. It was mm. just any person I talked to, we just sort of went into a conversation of, hey, I'm trying to do this thing. I'd love to just keep chatting with you about things. Yeah. I think it was also serendipity of people just wanting relationship, right? Because we're all stuck at home. And so people were willing to just chat with people, you know, and figure out what that looks like. So a good bulk of it was actually after that mastermind ended, I sort of kept in touch with people and helped them implement Mm -hmm. the things that were happening in that mastermind. But one one person I, I, I still talk with, we just randomly met because someone connected me with somebody about something. And then we just ended up, but because my mindset was there and my idea was there to just, see what's out there and help people it just naturally happened and there is no tactic or strategy there's no formula that makes that work it's just about being owning it and giving yourself permission and putting it out there and in two months i did like 70 sessions it was literally six hours a day just phone call after phone call after phone call after phone call and i was just putting in these reps that i was happy to put in i just i just had to do it you know and I think it's a Herculean effort to do that if you don't really fully believe it. Mm, If your permission is get, if you get your permission from other people, it doesn't work, right? Yes, you might be, (laughs) you you might change your job, get into a job, and you're paid to do it, so you'll do it. But then you can burn out, and then you're, you know, I think that's why a lot of the, you know, people go through agency. You know, you go in thinking one thing, and then you get grinded out because it's not what you expect it to be. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it, I just, I just, and I, I literally looked up, and I'm like, whoa, it's that number says seventy. I did seventy of these calls with people, and yeah, there's nothing about that I feel is 
there's nothing special about me that did it or a hack that did it. I think mm. once I landed on it and I realized it was something I, I enjoyed, I just allowed myself to do it. And yeah, I forgot who said it, but I, I think when people are looking for that thread or what they're interested in and what they want to do, finding something that feels like play to you but work to others is a, is, is a really wise model to look at. And the reason why that's also not popular is maybe it's an Asian thing, maybe it's a Korean thing, but if something is too easy, it doesn't feel like it's worth doing. We always oh want to make it harder on ourselves to do something. Yes. We always we always yeah. want to say, yo, I'm hustling, I'm grinding, I'm putting in my dues, I'm doing this thing. And if it isn't hard, maybe it's maybe it's a byproduct of, at least for me, seeing how hard my parents worked to do the amount of suffering they did to give us a life they gave us. That if I do it easier, there's something about that that, yeah, I don't know. I it's mean, all, if, I bet it's all, yeah, yeah. I bet it's all yeah, of that. No, I, mean, I don't know what it is, but play is easy and those calls and, mm. and the things I'm doing it was and right before I decided to do coaching I was feeling zoom fatigue but then as soon as I decided to do coaching work I would finish I'm like well that was amazing that was great at the end of the day I'm yeah. like I'm yeah. tired but I loved talking to people and so yeah yeah I stumbled upon what what feels like play and still feels like play and I love that yeah yeah I mean like a couple things I mean actually yes you bring up the is it is it valuable if it isn't hard? I was in a clubhouse room yesterday with a bunch of Asian creators. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the topics. It was like, you know, some people are saying like, how, you know, there's this like phenomenon happening where a lot of these younger generation are just doing things without the knowledge, but they still produce a very similar end result, mm -hmm. you know, and they get kind of paid for it or they get clout from it. And, we we had this long discussion of like, what is this phenomenon? Like, what about mm -hmm. me? I put so much time and effort into my craft and yet I don't get the compensation or the clout that these, this younger generation does just by mimicking the end result, you know? Yeah. So we talked about that, but the thing I want to talk to to hear from you is about what, what would it feel like to get your first paid client? Like, when did that happen? Like from a timeline perspective and what was that yeah. like for you? I think this is, I, I, all those calls I did, the 70, I mean, part of the reason the 70 calls worked was because I didn't charge for it. <laughs> I just did the calls for people, right? <laughs> so yeah. that's one of the reasons why it, it worked. But God, who was my first? I'm trying to remember the exact client that I was doing it, but it really felt like I just pulled this out of my ass. Like it's like mm. I still, and I, I said that, you know, find what's play and what's work for other people. And I believe that on a, on a intellectual level and I tell it to clients but I cannot help but feel guilty that that's what got me my, that's what I was able to make money from that. Like, yeah, this was too easy. It was almost like, this is working. This is really working. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird sensation of like, am I allowed to, am I still allowed to, there was something about actually doing the calls that was permissionless, but having no permission to actually charge for it, where as soon as you start looking into coaching, there's coaching federations, the International Coaching Federation, there's certified this and certified that and doing this and doing that. And there's all, and then you start, you can create all these gatekeepers all over again and say, well, I'm not certified. How, who am I? Who am I to charge yeah. for X, yeah. Y, and Z? Yeah. And 
once I got my first person, I was like, well, okay, that's not going to happen again. Then I got mm. another person and my, my coaching work goes for three months. And I'm like, well, after these three months, no one's going to hire me again. Like there's this <laughs> total feeling of guilt and this isn't going to work. And that's the, wow. that's when you oscillate between that's, all the while. I mean, you're that's crazy. You do. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy because in, in technology, any sort of payment is a signal of it that it's working. Mm. But for the person receiving the payment, it's for whatever reason, it's like a harbinger of distress. Yes. Right? Like as soon as you get the payment, it's like all of a sudden it, it it creates doubt versus in reality it should create just, you know, like this it, it proves that it's working. Yeah. Like you, know? you have signups which are great, right? But once you turn yeah. on the switch and people start paying, it's gonna be like well, now we're on the hook, right? Is this thing even worth it? Are they really even going to, like, how many people are going to quit this after a month? That's literally, yes, how, yes. after calls, I'll be like, oh, they'll fire me now. Like, this is like, that, that was, that was, that was shit conversation that I, that's, that's how it always felt. And no one thinks that, you know, that's not, that's not mm. true. And even now, like, when clients come back and, and they tell me, hey, I had this win. Like, like, we talked about this and this happened and that. I feel myself as emotional and excitable as I am when someone tells me that what we talked about was a material benefit in their life. I emotionally shut down because <laughs> I think it's too much for me to process <laughs> that it actually happened. I'm yeah. so happy for them. And at the same time, I'm like, wait, really? And I get super yeah. quiet. I, I want to sob enjoy, and also just be like speechless all at the same time because I don't think I can yeah. fully own the fact that I had, I was some sort of catalyst in that change that was happening. I think the beautiful part of it is, yes, they're doing all the work and I'm just there as a mirror and that's fine. But I am a catalyst and I still haven't fully owned that nine months later, you know, doing coaching work. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's so crazy because I was actually talking to a friend who I didn't know, but you get, you coach this person. And this person was like, you know, I, I meant to, I meant to tell you this, but Minnow changed my life. And I was like thinking like, Oh my God, like that's like, because like, you know, I think someone like me, I say that kind of like, I say that often like, Oh, this changed mm. my life. That changed my mm. life. So it's kind of useless when I say it, but <laughs> this person, it didn't seem like this person says something like that often. So I was taken off guard because I was like, like, not to say I didn't expect it because I think yeah. me getting coached by you obviously changed my life too, but it was so it was like such a visceral yeah, kind of moment for me as like a friend and someone who's watched you in this process. Like you are creating impact and like you might feel like some imposter every moment down the road, but it's like almost like, you know, we in, especially in the creative world, we talk about the accumulation of scale and perspective. Like you've accumulated all these things over, you know, a decade of work and it's kind of almost like re-manifested yeah. in people's perspective changing because yeah. like the job of a photographer is to change the perspective of a scene yes. or to visualize yeah. perspective but yeah. what happened when you started entering coaching is like you enabled that muscle in other people yes right yes, yes. and so i think that's like you know and i think for the listeners it's I, I want to get to this point where it's like people, I think a lot of people who want to do work that is more aligned to who they think they are, see it as this gigantic impossibility. 
Yeah. Right. Versus a, like you said, versus a thing you put the reps in. Right. Yeah. And I think it's like once, once we can start to normalize that, like the only hack is consistency. Yeah. Right. Then. Yeah. Everything becomes a little bit easier, right? Because like one of my questions was like, "Do you face imposter syndrome?" Yeah, I've, and I've, obviously yeah. you do. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like, how do you navigate it, given the fact that you also experience success as a coach? I think, along with what you're saying, I would say consistency and reps are important. But I think that's why I'm adding mindset coaching into the work I'm doing because. And if I don't say it in the right context, it still feels woo-woo for me to say mindset coaching. But the reason is because when people think of the work that they want to do that aligns with who they are, they think it's outside of what they already are or who they already are. Mm. They think they have to mm-hmm. usually become somebody else or pick up a skill that's not what they have. They have to do more in order to become the fullest version of who they are. But it's actually the exact opposite. And I think owning your story and saying, what is it in my life that I enjoy, really enjoy and feel permission to do? And sometimes people are much more introspective to be able to understand that about themselves. And some people need someone to reflect that to them. But either case, you need to be given permission. You need to give yourself Mm -hmm. permission to do that. And I think any action starts with the identity first when you believe that this is who you can do you will act accordingly i think writing is another parallel journey we don't have to get into but it's something that i realized i built a better habit once i realized Mm -hmm. i'm just someone who writes i am a writer because i'm someone who writes it's not about the authorship or publications over but I'm, i just i am i am someone who writes and that identity overflows into the action and then it's a generative loop because the action then is a vote towards the, the person that you want to become and i think that mindset is huge because everyone is high performing in what it is that they do even the most high performing mm-hmm. people there is imposter syndrome but it's reinforcing yeah. that identity and owning your story to start with where you are yeah yeah and i think one of the key sort of storylines that I was thinking about that came out of that mastermind but I was thinking about is Tony Robbins is sort of the de facto name when you hear about this kind of coaching and all that stuff but he has a really mm-hmm. profound question which is when you were young which parents love did you crave the most you love both mm-hmm. of them very much but which parents love did you crave the most and who did you have to be in order to receive that love And when I think about that, I always thought of it as it's my mom and I had to be this perfect student and perfect person to receive their love. But because I couldn't be perfect and no one is, I always felt like I'm not enough. And so I'll never be Mm -hmm. enough. And that was sort of this core narrative that was in my head of I'm not enough, which is why I want to scrap everything I did and go for the next thing and go for the next thing, learn more, read, read more, buy this book, try the next thing, keep working, working, working. And when I flipped that narrative, as I was learning about, you know, shame and vulnerability and empathy and and owning your story. And I said, rather than saying, I'm not perfect. And so I'm not enough. If I can say wholehearted that I am a wholehearted person. And if I'm wholehearted, I can change lives. Like, (laughs) The more I told myself that really 
almost mantra-esque idea because mm. I needed to change core narrative and my identity. People like, you know, your friend would say some, and I, again, I don't believe it because I feel like an imposter and, you know, who am I? <laughs> but yeah, there is an yeah. aspect of that that I think I can't deny. And that's the journey, I think, from this mm. point on. So, yeah. You said something earlier about who you are and what you do almost being a compulsion. Yeah. I think it's funny because I, I think that especially, probably broadly in society, but especially within America. Asian Americans and Korean Americans, it's like compulsion is a thing you avoid mm. at all costs, mm. especially people that grew up in some kind of faith community, yeah. whether it be Christian or otherwise. It's like compulsion is like something you need to avoid because it's it's inherently wrong. If it's, yeah. it's something that you just want to do, it's selfish, it's greedy, or it's like, you know, like right. thoughtless. Right. right. So to kind of almost grow this sense of I am like drawn to these things. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Yeah. And like, giving yourself the space to like explore and answer those questions, I think is almost the fundamental work. Yes. I, I think most people are trying to say, what do I want to do yes. versus what am I drawn to? Yes. You know? Yes. And it's, like, and they don't feel comfortable doing that. The, the more fundamental question because it feels wrong. Yeah. There's now, like, a, how do you how do you uh, help your clients get over that feeling, like that it's it feels wrong? David, that's a great question. I think this is. I think yeah, like the other sort of mantra, a quote that came that stayed with me for all of twenty twenty. I don't remember where I heard it, but it's from this guy Frederick Beekner that said, "Your calling is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet." Calling is the place mm -hmm. where your deep gladness, which is the compulsion, giving yourself permission, play that seems like work to other people, but it has to meet the world's deep hunger. Right. It has to meet a need in, need in the world. And I think once you see that need, you marshal yourself to a cause of what's happening. I mean, and again, I saw that with Black Lives Matter. Then I saw it on the opposite side. <laughs> Right, the past couple, the past couple months saw it in a completely different way. Both, and people, you know, there's a there, that that rises you to an occasion, and that's where this grand story comes because it's a mission and a vision, and and a calling is sort of like I see this need in the world, and I have these abilities to fill it, and I mm. think that's why it's so important. It's courageous and generous. It has to be generous. Yeah. It has to be something for the good of other people, and so. Yeah. That's to me where sort of Asian, Eastern background and American individualistic background balance each other out for me. Because in, as an American, you want to be self-actualized and, you know, I did it, I did it my way. But as Asians, you want, you understand innately that when you live, live and work and serve other people, we all rise together. And, and, and that greater, yeah. greater good is baked in us too. And I think doing work that we were that feels like play that feels great but it's for other people to serve others essential work mm. essential work that we talked about you know last year like that's yeah. i think that's the key and so it's looking around yeah. and seeing what's the world's deep hunger and how can i find yeah. my place in filling it i love that it's like the framework here for those who aren't <laughs> getting it is an intersection 
there has to be an intersection yeah. of who you yeah. are, yeah. what you're what you're drawn to naturally and yeah. a need in the world, feeling yeah. that need. I love that. I think, okay, so this is probably a good place to end and so funny, so serendipitous. Today is the Lunar New Year, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, February today's 12th. A, yeah. yeah, today's the first day of the new year in the lunar calendar. And so it's, a, I mean, obviously it's a big deal in the East and stuff, but I think it's, there's this idea, there's this, I think there is a feeling right now as much dread and kind of, oh fuck, when is all this going to end? This type of feeling. There's also a little bit of, a, I'm starting to sense around me a little tinge of hope, yeah. right? For things to yeah. come. And there's, a, yeah. you know, obviously a lot of people are celebrating a new year today. Yeah. What advice do you have for <laughs> people who are like, Making, tr- I mean, today is I would say is a transition. It's a it's a wave. It's a new ties, a new season. What do you what do you want to say to these people? Because I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners who are considering this for themselves. I think the first step is to explore and and be mm-hmm. curious of what's around you and what's happening. I don't I don't mm-hmm. know if there's so many things that are forcing us to sort of look inward and see ourselves so much of like culture is about what's in it for me but i think even before if for some people who are self-aware and can understand what they're called for that's great i think a more practical or easier way to go about it is to look at the world's need and see what actually moves you and something that you feel compelled to want to fix or not fix but you know contribute this this long game almost insurmountable that you'll never reach the end goal but a goal that is is so lofty and but it rings so true to you that i'll spend the rest of my life trying to get there i think then you sort of stop thinking about yourself you get out of your own way and you're like what can i do how can i how can i make this happen and i think that only happens when you become curious and want to explore what's around you yeah yeah i think it's amazing i mean you have done an incredible thing in the last 12 months. I think no one would deny that. Thanks, and man. Thank you. I think the, it, it, the fun thing is that the work's only just starting. And so, you know, obviously it's a plug for Minnow as a coach. <laughs> you know, I personally have gone through it. My wife is going through it now. I have a few friends now who are also being coached by Minnow. And so, like, you know, whether it's, I obviously recommend Minnow, but the the thing that I think we're both saying is give yourself the space. Yes. Make make it happen this year. It's not, don't ask yourself, what should I do next? It's ask yourself, what do I like? You know, yeah. what did I like as a kid? I remember like in therapy, my therapist would ask me like, yeah, what did you do as a kid? What were you drawn to? Yeah. And I remember like saying, oh, I, I remember like I would uh, just lay out all my toys on the couch and just kind of organize them and look at them. And like, there's something about me that's curatorial. Like I like yeah. the idea of curation. Yeah. Right? And then another thing was like, I love tide pools. Ever since I was a kid, I, I grew up in Hawaii. So I would just go in inside tide pools versus the ocean and just like look around. I was so curious, right? And so like yeah. when you start to think about those things, you're like, That's who great. is that? Yeah. What kind of a person is that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, those, I, I would say like, those are the practical things you can do to like start this journey. And obviously having someone like Minnow there is super helpful. So thanks, man. And I think uh, even more than even more than the coaching, it's also 
this is the stuff I, you know, I think we'd love to explore on the podcast and talk more about. This is the stuff that we really lights both David and I up and using our own lives as a case study to talk about it would be super fun. And so I think we're all caught up now on where both of us are and whatever, you know, whatever happens in the future that's going to be good, bad, whatever it is, we'll, we'll talk about it and try to talk about these bigger, bigger ideas. But yeah. Excellent interviewer, David Cho. Thank you. You brought out things I didn't even think about. Thank you, Minnow. This is amazing. Listeners, thank you so much for your time. Please hit up Minnow if you need some coaching. Share this potter with folks that you think might benefit from it. We're excited to continue this journey along with everyone. Bye, everybody. All right. Bye-bye.